Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Welcome to another episode of Brainwaves. Uh, You're listening to 3CR 855am or you can stream online at 3cr.org.au. Today we're going to be talking to Sarah about her lived experience with borderline personality disorder as well as her experience on the Wellways telephone helpline. Uh, Today from the Brainwaves team we have Terry. I will just give a content warning for this episode. We will be talking about self-harm and suicide so if you are at all concerned please um, tune out of this episode or you can also call Lifeline Australia at 13 11 14. So that's 13 11 14. Thank you so much for coming into Brainwaves today, Sarah. We really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with us. No, that's fine. Thanks for having me. And thank you very much for coming in to talk with us about your lived experience of having had a prior diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and um, working your way through the system to a better health diagnosis. Um, Can you tell us about how you developed the condition to start with? Um, I was diagnosed with the condition back... Almost 10 years ago now. How old were you then? I was 24, I think, 23 or 24 then. Yep. Um, and I had been, I had a chronic history of self-harm for about 10 years prior to that. Um, and sort of, I guess, a lot of emotional distress and not managing emotions very well. Um, I had a suicide attempt at, yeah, about 23, 24. Um and presented to my GP the next day who sent me to a psychiatrist. Right. Um, who eventually, yeah, gave the diagnosis. Aha. Hmm. Uh-huh. And um, what sort of treatment were you given to help you with this condition? Um, I was put on some medications, some antidepressants and mood stabilisers, um, though they were more to treat, I guess, the depressive symptoms and the emotional highs and lows. Um, for the borderline specifically, I was recommended to start dialectical behaviour therapy or, right. or DBT. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I did. I started, yeah, probably a, about two or three weeks after I was diagnosed, which was really lucky. There's often long waiting lists. Yes. Yes. I'm currently in treatment for, with DBT at the moment. Oh, right. And uh, yes, I'm led to believe that it's very hard to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of people are left on the waiting list for a very long time, unfortunately. Mm. Where did you do do it? Um, at Pine Lodge Clinic in Dandenong. All it's right. It's a private psychiatric hospital. All right. Yeah. What does that um, kind of therapy involve? What 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 is DBT? Sure, it's um basically sort of skills based training. Yeah. Um, it's usually quite a structured program that involves um, psychoeducation um, and uh, emotion regulation. 
uh, distress tolerance skills. Uh, it's got quite a big mindfulness component as well um, and interpersonal effectiveness. So yeah. just managing communication between others and assertiveness and things like that. Oh. Hmm. Why is it difficult to get into that kind of a therapy? Is it just because there's a like a less of a there's a higher demand and there's not enough kind of psychiatrists or like in in that kind of therapy or mm, it's um it? it's a year long course typically yeah. not not always and um they like the participants to commit usually to that full it's usually nine or twelve months yeah. um so it can be a big commitment for people I had to take a day off week sorry, a day off work per week for a whole year to go. Um, so not everybody um, would be able to do that. You'd have to have a supportive workplace. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's often really hard for people to fit it in around their lifestyle and mm. um, to pay for treatment as well. Mm. Um, I was lucky enough to have private health insurance, but oh. a lot of people mm. don't. Um, and it's not run in very many places, mm. just usually a couple of the psychiatric hospitals um, we'll run it. It's not overly common. Yeah. Mm. And you found it really helpful? Oh, extremely, extremely mm. helpful. Yep. I still use the skills today, even usually in like just day to day life yeah, things well. as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What kind of, if you don't mind sharing, what kind of skills does that include? Is it more the emotional regulation kind of side of things or what might? Um, yeah, emotion regulation definitely yeah. when, um, you know, difficult things crop up. We've had some family difficulties over the yeah. years and things like that. Um, I guess just being mindful too about certain situations and accepting things as they are and not as I sort of hope they might be mm. and um, realising if I'm getting um, distressed, what I can do to sort of manage that before mm. it escalates into you know, a bigger crisis. Mm. Yeah. And then I guess just day to day, just using interpersonal skills to communicate more effectively, mm. um, to have my own needs met and make sure I'm mm. empathising with others and mm. listening to others well. Mm. And I understand you're um, on the helpline for Wellways. Yeah. yeah. I, I worked on the helpline for about eight months. Oh, wonderful. And yeah, it's a wonderful thing to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. Over three years, I think now. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. I started off as a volunteer oh, too. Oh, good on you! Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. It's a fabulous place to work. It's very uh -huh. supportive, and um, yeah, it's a very just a supportive and fun environment. Hmm. Oh. And for any listeners who don't know, it's um, the helpline is is a, a phone number um, that you can call. Between um, what are the hours? Nine and nine. Nine and nine. Yeah, Monday just, to Friday. Yeah, just yep. about anything um, that you might be experiencing. If you just need someone to talk to, it's a wonderful uh, support system. If anyone, if anyone um, want, like needs someone to talk to, you're welcome to talk to the helpline. But yeah, so three years. You said that you've been. Yeah, that's right. I've been there three years. Wow. I started off as a volunteer, um, and eventually um, became a team leader and. Um, now I'm one of the paid sort of coordinators mm. there, um, helping support the volunteers and, mm. yeah, speaking to our callers. They ring up um, sometimes, yeah, needing emotional support, as you mm. mentioned, or um, just wanting some suggestions for services in their area. So yeah. we can certainly help people to find relevant services to mm. their needs. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, what 
what is there anything that you've learnt from working on Helpline? Like, is there any kind of experiences that you've had that have I don't know taught you any taught you anything about mental health or support um, or? It's certainly it's actually wonderful. Um, I've learned a lot from our callers mm. calling in. Um, particularly our schedule callers um, because we, I guess we get to follow their sort of progress a bit more. But just how resilient people are mm. who are experiencing a mental ill health and often physical difficulties yeah. and financial difficulties and they've got so much going on but they just persistently keep trying and, mm. um, you know, making their lives meaningful and really making an effort um, it's amazing how resilient people can be. So that certainly taught me a lot. It's I'm full of admiration for yeah. them. Mm. Mm. And having the strength to call up is in itself admirable and really oh, amazing. Definitely, yeah. It can be so hard to yeah. pick up that phone and and reach out. Yeah, yeah when they're distressed or mm. yeah. Mm. So it's really um really amazing. People can mm. reach out for help and all the volunteers that come in. They donate their time and mm. try and support other people going mm. through mental ill health or periods of difficulty. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. I've got that number there for oh, Helpline yeah. too. So the Helpline number is 1300 311 500. Thank you for that. That's you right. want to say that again? Sure, it's 1300 311 500. Thanks a lot. Now going back to um, your lived experience, um, can you tell us what borderline personality disorder Means, you know, what it's a diagnosis, diagnostic category. Do you know why people get that type, that name, and and how prevalent it, it is in the community? Sure, the prevalence is estimated around about two percent of the population. Um, it is diagnosed in women um, more often than men, but new evidence is suggesting perhaps men are underdiagnosed as well. So that figure may be a little bit mm. off. Um, there's a lot of discussion now around the name because people often get a bit confused uh, with borderline personality disorder and what that really means. So mm. there's been some talk of renaming it to emotion dysregulation disorder. Mm. Some people feel that that explains a bit more about what the disorder entails for people experiencing it. Um, basically, though... The diagnostic criteria, there's a list of nine symptoms and you need to be experiencing, I think, five out of the nine. So mm. it can look a bit different for everybody that's mm. diagnosed, but typically there's um, quite a lot of uh, emotional distress. Mm -hmm. um, there um, can be sort of, I guess, difficulty with coping skills mm -hmm. and difficulty with uh, managing distress. So life often seems very chaotic and mm. up and down and a lot of sort of disasters and difficulties. Um, often quite turbulent relationships. Um, it can be a little bit, I guess, hot and cold or black and white in, mm. um, in their thinking, which um, yeah can make things quite difficult mm. to sort of manage relationships from day to day. Mm. Um, Self-harm is actually one of the diagnostic criteria. So mm. not everyone with borderline is, you know, experiences self-harm, but mm. that's quite common. Mm. Um, and that's usually a way for people with borderline to try and manage that extreme emotional distress. Mm. A lot of people think that um, they're seeking attention or... Mm. Um, trying to be manipulative, but that's not the case at all. It's just simply trying to manage those really difficult mm. feelings they're having mm. um, and, and trying to get some help. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. 
Thank you for sharing that. Sure, that's okay. Especially because we were, I mean, we were talking a bit before about how it is maybe a little bit of a a, a, a particularly stigmatized um, like diagnosis. Um, would you would you would you say? Yeah, definitely. From yeah, certainly from my experience and yeah. and other people I've come across. Um, yeah, it seems to be a lot of negative portrayal in mm. the media and social media. Um, as well as even in the mental health profession. Mm. Um, I've certainly come across mental health professionals who won't see patients who have mm. borderline. They're sort of um, in the too hard basket, in inverted commas, um, in a lot of people's eyes, which is really terribly sad. Yeah. yeah. And so you've actually come across mental health professionals yourself who've, who, who wouldn't treat you or wouldn't refer you on or what... What examples um, have you actually experienced that that you've come across? Um, when I was first diagnosed um, and my referral was sent off to one of the um, psychiatric hospitals, yeah. I was lucky enough to have be accepted by a psychiatrist there, but my GP warned me straight up that it might be quite difficult to find somebody because um, sometimes those patients are turned away because they're seen as quite difficult. Um and in a previous workplace, which I'm no longer there now, but um, yeah, some of the people there who were mental health professionals, yeah, would not see patients with borderline uh-huh. um, as they were seen as, as too hard. Yeah, mm. yeah. And yet there is a standard treatment that's successful, isn't it, in the dialectical behaviour therapy treatment? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it's hugely successful. Um, it's, it's probably the only thing, really, that they found to be successful um, for people with borderline. Um, I mentioned medication before. That can be useful sometimes to help with the other symptoms like depression or anxiety. But, yeah, the, the dialectical behaviour therapy is certainly very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know much about the current research or the current direction of therapy with people with a borderline personality diagnosis or with DBT or in that kind of area? Is there... Mm, I attended a conference um, from Marsha Linehan. So she is an American psychologist who developed DBT. Um, She herself had a diagnosis of borderline. um, And so she developed the treatment. So anyway, she came to Melbourne... um, probably about 12 months ago. So she was talking about the long waiting lists Mm. for people trying to get into DBT and she's actually working on um, some, I guess, shorter length skills-based training. Um, And that was going to be aimed at people on the waiting list getting into DBT, but to teach them some basic skills in the meantime um, that would aim to reduce incidents of self-harm and and suicide Mm. as well. Mm. Yeah, what a great idea yeah it's fantastic yeah. life saving yeah in many yeah. cases yeah definitely mm. especially because how long did you say you, people could be on the wait list like oh a long six months yeah. sometimes 12 months yeah and, yeah mm. and to actually be able to give people skills or some kind mm. of even if it is just a stepping stone towards the therapy right. itself like not just leaving people stranded that's yeah. wonderful that that's kind of the direction it's heading. Absolutely. Mm. Is there any um, particular cause to um, borderline personality disorder, do you think? Or? Um, there's no one causal factor that's been 
decided upon. Um, A lot of people who have been diagnosed with borderline have experienced abuse in childhood, but not not at all. That doesn't apply to everybody. Um, And there's a lot of different suggestions about um, parental care in early life, perhaps a small genetic component, um, but it is still a bit up in the air. Mm. Um, Yeah, they're thinking a combination of factors Mm. at the moment, but who knows what future research will tell us. Mm. And I suppose that's, I mean, that is the case for most mental health-like experiences. It's not not easy to kind of single out one cause or Mm. one kind of reason for something. Um, Yeah, it's complex. How do you how do you feel about like the diagnosis itself? Like, do you find it helpful or do you find it? I mean, I guess obviously stigma plays a huge role in it potentially being not helpful. But mm. what do you what what's your ideas about that? Um, I think it's probably changed over time. Yeah. At the time of diagnosis, it was a relief, mm. um, somewhat, mm. because. I mentioned, yeah, I'd always sort of struggled with self-harm and Mm. emotional distress and things. Um, And it was a relief to sort of um, realise what was wrong and put a name on it and then be able to get help. Um, So that having that diagnosis allowed me to get the support of a psychiatrist, to get Mm. into DBT, um, to get a a private psychologist who, you know, um, expertise in DBT Mm. skills. But certainly, I guess, out in the community years mm. later, um, you do realise how much stigma there is around it. Mm. Um, and I think it's um, people now are a bit more able to say, I have depression or I have anxiety. Yeah. Um, and there's more and more support for that, which is wonderful. Because mm. um, to me, it's no different to going to the physio for a mm. sore ankle. Um, you know, you have a mental health condition. There's no reason you can't talk mm. about it and get treatment. But things like borderline, I think, still has a, a little way to come, unfortunately. Mm. Mm. Do you think that's due to or like a, a, a contributing factor is people not understanding it or... And the experience, like maybe people's experiences being misrepresented, or mm. what, why do you think there is that kind of? I think it's probably a couple of different things. I think um, it's a misunderstood. Mm. Definitely, there's a seems to be a lot more sort of public education about depression and anxiety, mm. which again is wonderful. Mm. There's just mm. you know other things out there too, and yeah. we can't do it all. But it'd be nice to have some better education Mm. for the public um, because people with borderline often are presenting in emergency departments, Mm. um, you know, with self-injury or um, suicidal ideations, things like that. It does put quite a strain on the mental health system, Mm. um, which is no one's fault at all. Mm. Um, But it's very hard when treatments like DBT aren't readily available. People have nowhere else to go. So I think that sort of increases the stigma within the mm. um, the mental health community because um, the people are consistently presenting mm. at emergency and, and taking up services, mm. but they just don't have anywhere else to go to get support. Mm. Um, and I think, unfortunately, there's probably been some negative portrayals in, mm. like, popular culture movies and mm. things like that of, mm, 
yeah, some sort of mentally unwell people, which hasn't helped at all. No. Mm. What do you think would help with reducing stigma? It's a tricky one. Mm. Um, I'm. I think that. I think empathy mm. <laughs> from the public yeah. um, would be a great start, and trying not to judge something you don't understand, and trying to. Yeah, just be a little bit more understanding and tolerant. Mm. Um, 